appreciate the opportunity to, to, to chat with you today. And uh, Stephen, when you were out of the room, I just said the, the, the William James uh, quote fits so well with, with, this, with this poem here. Um, and I use this in my class. I, I, okay, full disclosure, I use some of this with my undergrads because if it's something good, why reinvent it, right? <clears throat> I, I like to use this poem with, with my undergrads, and uh, I'm not a poetry guy. I can actually barely read myself, to be honest. But I like to use this poem uh, because, to me, it sets up motivation, values, and mission uh, very well. And today, I think we're going to talk about um, mission, yes. And as Stephen warned, like we don't want to talk about a corporate uh, sense of mission. This is going to be uh, very uh, pastoral in, in the way we talk about it. But really what we're getting at is what is the connection between our motivation and what we do? How do our values connect to our mission? Just for like getting the brain going, uh, I like to start with this poem. Does, that, can, does anyone know who Ulysses is? In, in, who is that? Everyone's like, yes, and then they're like, I don't know the details. <laughs> yes, yeah, from mythology. Uh, yes, yes, from mythology. He was, uh, the easiest way to say it is he was an adventurer. He was an adventurer. And here's a poem that Lord Alfred Tennyson wrote about the spirit of Ulysses. And I wonder, any brave souls out there willing to read the, any, any brave souls with good eyes willing to read this uh, poem for us? Thank you. <clears throat> I am part of all that I have met, yet all experience is an arch wherethrough gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever when I move. How dull it is to pause, to make an end, to rust unburnished, not to shine in use, as though to breathe were life. Life piled on life were all too little, and of one to me little remains. But every hour is saved from that eternal silence something more a bringer of new things, and vile it were for some three sons to store and hoard myself, and this gray spirit yearning in desire to follow knowledge like a sinking star beyond the utmost bound of human thought. Awesome. Thank you so much for reading that. You read that so well. It was so beautiful, but it's also chocked full of, uh, of visuals here. Um, and so we're going to slow it down and, and break it apart again. I, as, as part of our like um, getting the juices flowing, I, I want us to kind of take apart some of the visuals of this poem. And so I want us to read it again, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab on to one or two of the lines from this poem that resonate with your spirit or that, that um, are just even thought provoking today. Maybe you don't even know what they mean, but you're drawn to that line. That's what I want you to do. And I wonder if uh, a new person, one more person, would read uh, this poem slowly and intentionally so that we can kind of absorb the line that is speaking to us. I would love if you would, thank you. I am part of all that I have met. Yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever when I move. How dull it is to pause, to make an end, to rust unburnished, not to shine in use, as though to breathe were life, life piled on life were all too little, and of and of one to me, little remains. But every hour is saved from that eternal silence, something more, a bringer of new things. And vile it were for some three sons to store and hoard myself, 
and this gray spirit yearning in desire to follow knowledge like a sinking star beyond the utmost bound of human thought. Excellent. Thank you for reading that. I'm going to give you 65 seconds to just look over this yourself. Make sure you've got, you locked in on one phrase or, or, or two lines at the most um, that, that are resonating with you right now. Um, I'm, I'm curious, is there any brave souls out there willing to share their lines just so we can unpack it as a large group? Okay, this is what I tell my undergrads. We can't go home until somebody talks. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I remarked, I uh, currently am working full time. I've got two young children. Uh, God bless you. <laughs> thank you. This coffee is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the line, life piled on life, we're all too little, um, just sort of reminds me of work right now to me. I, I work 40 hours a week, but work is not life. Yeah. Work is just work. Um, yeah. And I come home and I, and I spend time with my kids or my family, and it's the majority of my time is this life piled on life, is this work that is nothing, that is all too little. Just a big old pile. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, what do we do with that? I mean, like, we have to work, we have to, we have to do what we have to do. Is that really meaningful? And, and, and is the way that I'm using my time, yeah, it's a means to an end, but also, where do I fit in the life-giving part of my life? Yeah, you had your hand up. Yeah, um, the, the line that, that caught me was how dull it is to pause to make an end, to rust unfurnished, not to shine in use. Yeah, that's a pretty good one, yeah. 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 What does that say to you? Well, it was, it was speaking in two ways. Part in, in one, um, it's that, that need to be engaged, to be involved, that, that life is about um, attention and, and what, we're, what we're doing. At the same time, there's also within that, relating to what Jasmine was saying, just being busy for busyness sake is, is an empty thing. And, yeah, yeah. And so to pot, so it's working both ways. Like sometimes I feel like I can't pause because I have to be busy, but I'm being busy with things that aren't actually life. Yeah, yeah. I also think that it, the other thing it says is to me to to how dull it is to just get stuck. <laughs> I think that would be another way to say that. And and so often we know this part of our life, even a part of our ministry, sometimes where we just feel like we're stagnant. Um, you use that as a a judgment word, but I think we can make that judgment on ourselves, right? That sometimes we are just not stretching, we're not growing, we're not even challenging, we're probably in survival mode, right? And he says, what a waste, <laughs> what a waste. Um, actually, I think that uh, a good modern day translation of this poem is your shirt. It says, don't forget to be awesome today. <laughs> Thanks for coordinating that with me. That was nice. <laughs> um, any other lines that were uh, speaking to you? I heard, it, I, I don't even know who said it. I just heard over here, wow, I didn't even think about that. Does anyone remember what, what, who was speaking? 
I said the line, but I don't know who was speaking. I had mentioned that a rumor grew things in the while it were reminds me of, of of God sending Jesus to He died on the cross for us and He took away our sins. Yeah, yeah, that like we are provided with what we need, yeah. even even when in the moment we don't always know it. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, any last lines that anyone wants to talk about? One of, the, one of my favorite lines is the first line. <laughs> um, I am a part of all that I have met. This idea that who I am, who John Metz is, is a, a, an amalgamation. Is that the right word? I don't know if it's the right word. But it's the collection, the culmination of all of the things that I have experienced, all of the people that I have come in contact with, all of the choices that I have made. That is who we are. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. But the next line says, and that's not who you're going to be tomorrow. Yeah. Because you will have had more experiences tomorrow. Yeah. That you're still traveling. And tomorrow you'll be part of all you've met, including yesterday. Okay, don't tell them, but you guys are way smarter than 19-year-old college students. <laughs> but that's convicting, isn't it? This idea that we should... Um, uh, we should be pretty dang conscious of how we're going to spend our time then because that's going to make up who we are, who we are. Um, I, uh, I want to show you uh, a clip. Has anyone ever seen uh, um, uh, Steve Jobs' commencement address to Stanford? Uh, a, a couple people. I'm not going to show you the whole thing, but I love the first story in it because the story uh, is kind of a, a kind of an incredible story, I think. But it, it, what he says is, when we're in an experience, we don't always know how it's going to shape us. We don't always know how it's going to affect us or be a part of that culmination of ourselves. We don't. But looking back, we can often reflect and go, oh. I see how the dots are connected right here. Um, let me show it to you and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. I'm uh, honored to be with you today for your commencement from one of the finest universities in the world. <laughs> Truth be told, uh, I never graduated from college and uh, this is the closest I've ever gotten to a college graduation. <laughs> today, I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it. No big deal, just three stories. The first story is about connecting the dots. I dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but then stayed around as a drop-in for another 18 months or so before I really quit. So why did I drop out? It started before I was born. My biological mother was a young, unwed graduate student, and she decided to put me up for adoption. She felt very strongly that I should be adopted by college graduates, so everything was all set for me to be adopted at birth by a lawyer and his wife. Except that when I popped out, they decided at the last minute that they really wanted a girl. So my parents, who were on a waiting list, got a call in the middle of the night asking, we've got an unexpected baby boy. Do you want him? They said, of course. My biological mother found out later that my mother had never graduated from college and that my father had never graduated from high school. She refused to sign the final adoption papers. She only relented a few months later when my parents promised that I would go to college. This was the start 
in my life. And 17 years later, I did go to college. But I naively chose a college that was almost as expensive as Stanford. And all of my working class parents' savings were being spent on my college tuition. After six months, I couldn't see the value in it. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and no idea how college was going to help me figure it out. And here I was, spending all of the money my parents had saved their entire life. So I decided to drop out and trust that it would all work out okay. It was pretty scary at the time, but looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. <laughs> the minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on the ones that looked far more interesting. It wasn't all romantic. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in friends' rooms. I returned Coke bottles for the five-cent deposits to buy food with. And I would walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night to get one good meal a week at the Hare Krishna temple. I loved it. And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let me give you one example. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphed. Because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography great. It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture, and I found it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me. And we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have them. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. Kind of a cool story, huh? I think, um, oh, here's my phone. You know, I look at my phone today and I go, yeah, this is, it is beautiful. Uh, and to think that the, um, I, when I talk to, when I show this to my undergraduates, uh, I say, you don't remember this, but maybe people in this room will. Do you remember computers in the 80s were like a black screen with green blinking typewriter font, right? That was, uh, that changed because some college dropout took a calligraphy class. You know, I mean, that's kind of cool. I think that's kind of cool. And uh, I, I, but the bigger idea and sentiment 
know, having trust in what, where you are, what you're doing. Maybe you were placed here for a reason. Maybe the experiences that you are experiencing right here and right now are going to help frame or form your future. That's kind of cool. And in a bigger context, that's the story of our faith, right? That we don't, you know, hope in the resurrection. You know, when, when, when Jesus was walking to the cross, all of his friends and followers just thought, what a waste, what a tragedy. They had no idea what was coming next, but their faith and their trust continued to carry them forward. And here we are in a resurrection church. And that's beautiful. So our choices and what we decide to do are akin to our humanity, and it's the way we live. And a little bit right here, I'm pulling from this idea of Ignatian discernment. How do we know what we should be doing, and how do we know that the decisions that we're doing are going to connect to um, our overall mission and align with our overall values? We have this gift of free will to make our, the choices we want to make. Uh, you chose to get up on a Saturday morning and struggle to find parking downtown Milwaukee and come to this room right now. You easily could have slept in this morning. I, I, I thought about it. <laughs> I did. But, but we made a choice to be here. And, uh, and, and hopefully, um, through our experience here, our congregations are going to be better. We're going to be better. And overall, we're going to find more purpose and meaning in our life. Um, but we make choices every day. Sometimes uh, we make big choices and sometimes we make small choices. It's like the great prophet Albus Dumbledore once said, it is our choices that show who we truly are much more than our abilities. You know, we, uh, we all are gifted, we all have these great gifts, but how do we choose to spend our time? That's, that's really the proof in the pudding, or is that the phrase, proof in the pudding? Uh, that, that's the evidence, that's the evidence of who we are and what we do. Um, Two colleagues of mine, um, uh, Dr. Ryan, uh, Father Ryan Duns and uh, Connor Kelly are writing a book on discernment, and this is something they say about the matter. They say, the task of the human life then is to learn how to recognize the power of our choices and hold on to that, to use that power purposely, to become the person that we most fully long to be. That doesn't happen by accident. That has to happen intentionally. You have to think about, now I'm talking about the individual, of course, right now, but we're going to, we're going to merge this into our congregations too. But I think it's important to start on the individual level because you're all in here for a reason, individually. And then collectively, the power is undeniable, right? So the goal of our life, we often say like, what is the goal of our life? A lot of people will say the goal of our life is happiness. The goal of our life is to like be um, satisfied. Uh, and Kelly and Duns and you know, many others, St. Augustine uh, to name a few, say no, the goal of our life is to find purpose. It's to find meaning. It's to quench that um, fire that's inside us uh, and to connect to that purpose uh, in, a, in a way that is, um, uh, meaningful. I didn't think to put the slide up, but um, there's a definition that I use in my classes uh, by Sanders Snyder's that says spirituality is uh, is what um, is is how we transcend ourselves through knowledge and love. And the way I like to translate that is to say it is how we get outside of our body into something bigger than us through our head and our heart, through our head and our heart. How are we? 
becoming connected to something bigger, how are we making a difference in the world? Which is the tagline of the university here. And sometimes we make big decisions, right? Sometimes we make monumental decisions that will change the impact of the world, like where we sit on a bus. And sometimes we make small decisions, um, like should I eat the potatoes or not? Which the answer should be, I hope you all did. But, um, but um, as someone that's trying to watch my carbs, it wasn't probably my best decision today. Mr. Rogers uh, uh, said uh, this. He said, um, you really have time for everything that you want to do in life. Because oftentimes, it's not a choice between good and bad. It's often a choice between many goods, right? This is something that uh, challenges me in my life. I see so many possibilities. I see so many good things that I could be doing. But I don't have, there's 24 hours in the day. I wish there was like 26, but there's not. Um, so hopefully, uh, your choices can come from a deep sense of who you are. So we, I started with this premise that our choices, our, our experiences, are uh, culminate in who we are. How do we decide on what those choices are? How do we decide on what we do? That has to get connected to our values. And if not, we're just willy-nilly. We're just shooting in the dark. We're just crossing our fingers and hoping we get to where we need to go. Stephen Covey said, um, a plane would never take off not knowing its destination, right? You have to at least have a, a vision of where you're going. Now, um, that, that the flight plan can change and often does. I, I, again, I always tell my undergrads, I'm like, uh, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Okay, great. Um, it's not going to work exactly how you're envisioning it. Like, it's just, I, we know in this room, we know that it doesn't always go exactly the way we want it to. But sometimes that's exactly where it needs to go. But are we being intentional enough to kind of pivot and reflect in a way that uh, we still make that meaningful? Because we can't do everything that we, uh, everything that we, uh, because we can't do everything, we must know what our values and our priorities are. Um, and, and, and I know that you all have all reflected on that before, but we're gonna do a little exercise just for a couple minutes just to try to focus that conversation so that we can talk about it meaningfully in our group. So we need to ask the question, what are our values? On your um, tables, I gave you not a definitive list, but a pretty dang good list um, from Brene Brown on just a list of values. And this is just the easiest, um, not probably the most effective way, but it's the easiest way in like a three minute period that I uh, could think of to have you kind of just like name some values. What I want you to do is I want you to take three minutes, maybe four, um, to. Now, they, these guys gave you some awesome pens. On, on one side is a pen, on one side is a highlighter. Um, if you want to highlight um, just anything on the list that um, resonates with your own value system, just to kind of get a focus on that, um, that would be awesome. Why don't you take a few minutes to do that?
I want you to keep working. I see some people are definitely still working and other people are done. Um, and so I'm gonna give you the next part, but if you're still in the first part, that's fine, T take your time. Here's the next part. I want you now to take the same list and think more broadly about your, I'll, 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 uh, your congregations. So you have your um, individual list. Now I want you to flip your fancy pen over and maybe circle uh, instead of highlight. Um, what are the values of your church? Of your church, of your congregation, the collective group of people, not just you. I know some people are working, some people are wrapping up. Continue to keep working. I'm just gonna give you the next step in case you're starting to feel restless. The next step is this. <clears throat> We're gonna, well, no, that's, I wanna wait for a second. The next step is just to look at your two lists. Maybe, they're, maybe, maybe you're finding some insight. <laughs> I want you just to just note Notice um, the distinction between your individual values list and your collective congregation's value list as, as best as you can determine in a four and a half minute period. Um, and just for a minute, just kind of think about what are the insights? What, what, what does this tell you about your role, your congregation, your connection to your congregation? So the next part is a two-part thing also. I, w I want you to, at your tables, just share your insights. Feel free to share what's meaningful. Either share your personal values list, your collective values list, or the diversity uh, in between those two things. 
any insights that you have, just talk about what you've been thinking about over the last five, seven minutes. The second part of it is then, I want you as a table, as you think of your own congregation, to assemble what you identify as a common value list. Do your best to try to, maybe someone flips their paper over and just writes that down. And, and the best way to do that is going to be to see what values you individually chose for your community and see which ones overlap. That's the best way to do this. Um, but as your discussion goes on, you might say, you know what, um, what Jimmy had over here, we really need to lift that up because I wasn't thinking about that and that was helpful. So, um, so first, any um, dialogue, uh, conversation you have just about doing the activity and then I want you to work together. I'm gonna give you probably eight minutes um, to, uh, to, to kind of come together with a collective list. Ready, set, go. Here's a follow-up question I want you to talk about, so I'm just gonna throw it out there so you can continue talking. Are the, is this value list that you put together, is this, is this reality right now or is this aspirational?
But any like wide sweeping um, aha moments just through your conversations based on your own values, the collective values, the comparison of the values, and or this last question about reality versus aspiration? Any thoughts or um, interesting conversations that you were having? Just to share with the larger group, just for sharing sake and for collective wisdom. Yeah. Love and forgiveness were low or non-existent on our list, and we evaluated two churches. Yeah. So that's an interesting, to me, that's kind of low. <laughs> Love and forgiveness were low on your list. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Forgiveness wasn't on there. Forgiveness was not on there. Hold on. Let's just have let, let's just have one conversation. Let's have one conversation. That that's that's what did that tell you? Well, yeah, it's aspirational. It's aspirational. <laughs> well, what we know, right, is that congregations are made up of groups of people. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and a lot of these Christian values that we hold up high. Are, are aspirational because it's hard to be loving, forgiving, merciful. Those are things that we're challenging to the people that Jesus said them to, and they're challenging to us today. And if it's important to identify, if we state that we are forgiving people, but I'm holding a grudge right now, and I'm not even bringing that to my consciousness, I'm just letting that fester in my brain or in my heart, it's important to identify, right? I'm not saying you're doing that, but I'm more talking about myself. <laughs> it's good to identify that. Thank you for your honesty and vulnerability there. Any other? Yes. So many of these values are multifaceted. Right. That some of them may be being lived out today, but another aspect of them we may wish they may be aspirational to get to another level of them. There yeah. are so many of them on here. Yeah. And congregations are complicated organizations, right? Your, your, your liturgical practice might be very different than your human concerns practice or your pastoral um, care practice, right? And, and how, do you, how do you integrate all that? Is, that? is that not really what you're talking about? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, you're, which is the word love? Yeah. Okay, we have multi-generations at this table. I can see that. I'm a child of the 60s, you know. Yeah, Everyone say your age. No, I'm just kidding. But the generations we grew up in defined love very differently. And yet love constitutes the first and second commandments of Christ. And whether what we do in this particular situation reflects love or this value of love, yes or no, but is it aspirational to reflect the, the value of love as taken in the first two commandments in all of the things that we do? Yeah, that's very aspirational, but that doesn't mean we don't occasionally have these bursts of love. Of course. Yeah, it's, it, it's an excellent point. It's not like a value is something like we switch on and okay, we're, we're forgiving now, we don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> this is, these, are, these are things that we constantly have to work with. We're always taking two steps forward and three steps back. That is absolutely what we're doing. And, uh, and so we have to be intentional. Here's another point. Uh, when I said, what is reality, what's aspirational? 
there's almost an implication like, oh, we're not living up to what we want to, right? I would frame it another way. I would say your aspirational goals, your aspirational values are absolutely, that's, where, that's, that's your path to growth. That's your path to be better. You have a roadmap now as to where you want to go. How awesome is that? You can connect the dots looking forward that way. Um, I want to do a little thought experiment with you now. I want you to think, I want to go back to the individual, um, your individual uh, values and, and what you contribute to the church that you're a part of. And I want you to think about, first of all, what is your role in your church? Should be pretty simple. I'm, a, I am a, I'm an elder, I'm a trustee, I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm a, I'm a teacher. What is your role in the church? The second question should also be easy. Why do you serve in that role? Why did you wake up on Saturday morning and come to this room as representatives of your church? Why do you serve in that role? Should also be a pretty easy question. The third question I think will be more challenging. What is the why beneath your why? Why do you value what you value about the work that you do for your congregation? Let me give you an example. When I ask this question to undergraduates, <clears throat> I'll say something like, what are you majoring in? And they'll say, nursing. And I'll say, awesome. Why do you want to be a nurse? And they go, because I want to help people. Awesome. Why do you want to help people? Oh. <laughs> That's a harder question. What is your motivation underneath your, your, your uh, stock answer? Of course we want to help people. Of course we love God or our community. What is your motivation? And maybe take a look at your values list to help give you an indication of what that why underneath the why might be. Just think about that for a little bit. <clears throat> what is your why beneath your why? How does this why beneath your why line up with your values and with your congregation? <clears throat> I'll give you a, a couple minutes <clears throat> just to process any thoughts you're having at your table about your why beneath your why and how that connects to the larger mission of your own congregation. As we spend some time thinking about the connection between, let's just think about what we've done in the last hour. We've, uh, we, we've, we've noted that the culmination of our experiences helps to inform who we are. 
Um, we looked at um, a set of our own personal values, probably informed by the decisions and the experiences that we've had. We've matched that up with um, uh, values of our congregation and looked at the difference. We've asked questions about um, are, are we living into our values or are we trying to live into our values? And then we looked at our motivation and asked the question, are they connected to our values? Any thoughts about what we take away from that? I'm asking, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a mouthful. What's the point is the question. What's the point in what we've been talking about? What insights can you glean from examining who you are and what's important to you and the role that you do in your par uh, in your uh, congregation? Yes. Um, I think one of the things that I think the whole thing points to is how interconnected everything is. Totally. Is that one small action of one person may change another person's life. Mm. Some small comment in Bible study may completely change how someone thinks about their relationship with God. Yeah, uh, it goes back to what we said early in on this hour. Our actions have great power. It's like Spider-Man's uncle once said, great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we need to... Um, we need, to, like, we need to know how extraordinary our, our lives are and the gifts that we have and, and the actions that we have have a tremendous impact on the people around us. It's a lot of responsibility. It's also a great opportunity. Any other thoughts? I think we all want, are doing this because we want others to know the joy and love of God and his forgiveness and saving grace. That's a pretty good motivation. Yeah, yeah. And then, it, then we have to ask the question, is what we're doing bringing us there? Yeah. Hopefully the answer is yes. And if the answer is yes, that's good confirmation on uh, what we're doing is, is good. And if, and if it's like we're, we're heading the right direction, but we're over to the left a little bit, how do we, maybe I, gotta, maybe I have to develop my forgiveness a little bit to pull me closer to Christ. Maybe, maybe that's what I, we have to focus on as a community right now, for instance. Those are, those are two very good insights. Yes? Um, we also talked about how um, our lists don't all match up with each other. Of course. Because we each come from a different, uh, you know, I am all the things I have been, right? But yes. A, um, we each come from a different place, but because of that, we're able to, like she was saying, the interconnectedness, we're able to each contribute to the church in a different way, and those are all... You're saying St. Paul was right? <laughs> we're, we're all part of the body of Christ and we have different roles and we build that together? How beautiful is that? Yes, of course, absolutely. Uh, if your lists were all the same, what a boring church we would be. <laughs> what a boring church we would be. Yeah, this is good. Any, any last thoughts before we wrap up this part? Um, I, I, I know you'll have more opportunity to unpack this a little bit, but, um, but thank you for, I, I just want to thank you for um, uh, doing this part so intentionally and, and really examining, asking some vulnerable questions about where you are and where your congregation is, because it's only going to make um, your churches better. 
um, to ask these hard questions. So, so thank you for doing the hard work. And it was a, a pleasure being with you this morning. Thank you.